0: This is Cutie Clinic. Hi, I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. Cutie Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live, where we discuss complex problems. There's going to be critical thinking. It all leads to greater confidence in you, the rheumatologist. Be there March 18 and 19. You can register now. Today's case, my bum knee. This is a 60-year-old gentleman who comes to see me a few months ago. He's limping. He's got a bad knee. Um, On first inspection, it looks a little bit enlarged, maybe some bony enlargement. Maybe he's got a little bit of a varus deformity. The story is that this has come on in the last uh, two years. It's gotten progressively worse in the last six months. So this is a chronic problem. He's got some other aches and pains, a little bit of back pain, little bit of, you know, overuse pains, but he's not very active. He's definitely not in shape. He's morbidly obese. Uh, He has high blood pressure and diabetes, takes medicines for that. Uh, And he's been taking over-the-counter medicines. Said he once went to the emergency room. They did an x-ray. They gave him a shot in the arm, not in the joint. And um, he's just been plugging along with the same pains ever since. The question is, what is this? So let's think about this. He's 60, he's got one joint, it's chronic, obviously osteoarthritis has got to run right to the top. Um, If not osteoarthritis, what else could this be? Well, without evidence of synovitis and squishy swelling or joint warmth, we're not going to really call this an inflammatory arthropathy. And so something like infection, chronic infection, opportunistic infection would be um, not really a possibility. And again, there is no inflammation. There is no warmth. Um, He says this has been chronic, which kind of rules out gout. He might be the right age, right sex, but the chronicity kind of rules out monosodium urate as the cause. doesn't really rule out calcium pyrophosphate. So this could be pseudo gout, um, And there's no clear reason as to why he'd have that. What else could this be? And the question is, what are you going to do for the evaluation? Does he need a big laboratory workup? Would I do an ANA and a rheumatoid factor in him? No. No, I would not. Would I do a CBC and chem profile? Sure. He's got medical problems. He's a bit of a mess when you do a history and a physical. You'd like to know if there's any other issues you're dealing with. Um, There's no prior history of trauma here. Should I get an x-ray? What are the indications for x-ray? First off, x-rays don't usually diagnose these kind of problems. X-rays are really usually done as baseline assessment and to help rule out other possibilities. Could he have a fracture there? He could. Doubtful that it would be there for more than six months. Um, But he has the main reason, the main reason to do an imaging imaging test on him would be A, chronicity, and B, failure to respond to symptomatic therapy. And whether this is a baseline assessment or ruling out other causes other than osteoarthritis, we'll see when we get the x-ray. Anyway, his lab's come back. They're all relatively normal. He's got a slight degree of renal insufficiency and a blood sugar that's out of control, a hemoglobin A1c of 9. And um, when you look at the x-ray, he's got, guess what? That's right, avascular necrosis, osteonecrosis involving the knee. That was a bit of a surprise, but certainly not. When we go back to him and say, so why did this happen in you? Do you have a history of trauma? Have you taken steroids? Um, and the answer is no and no, but he does have a problem with chronic alcohol abuse. So that's a significant risk factor for osteonecrosis. Interestingly, men who get osteonecrosis tend to be more in the, in the hip. Um, and women tend to get it more in the knee. Uh, What are the causes of osteonecrosis? Well, he had the main one here, that being um, alcohol abuse. But uh, other causes would include trauma, steroid use, renal failure, transplant, other rheumatic diseases like lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and such which often are treated with high-dose steroids. Patients with hemoglobinopathies like sickle cell, radiation, pancreatitis, pregnancy, hyperlipidemia, and, of course, decompression sickness known as caisson's disease. So those are the main things. Our guy had um, osteonecrosis as evidenced by uh, unilateral condylar sclerosis with a bit of a crescent sign and collapse of the of the condylar uh, surface so that it was irregular, and this has led to progressive degenerative joint disease. In the short term, you know, it's alleviating pain, um, really, with local measures and crutches. In the long term, he requires a referral to orthopedics and joint replacement. His osteonecrosis has progressed to the point where that's the main thing other than analgesic therapy. Probably no real benefit would be derived um, long-term benefit by intraarticular steroids. Uh, intra-articular, you know, uh, lidocaine would only give short-term relief. Intraarticular steroids, again, short-term relief and probably wouldn't, would hurt the situation rather than help the situation, especially if he's going to have a joint replacement. Anyway, that's the bum knee due to osteonecrosis. Tune in for more QD Clinics. Take care. Welcome to QD Clinic. Hi, I'm Dr. Jack Kush with Room Now. QD Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live 2023, March 18 and 19 in Dallas, Texas, or virtual on your computer. You can be there. You know, teachers teach, but Room Now Live is really about the lessons that belong to you, the learner, meaning we want to hear from you. You're involved in these interactive sessions we're going to have on RA, PSA, lupus, vasculitis, spondylitis, etc. Come, we'll master rheumatology together. Today's case is um, a new paradigm in polymyalgia rheumatica. So a 68-year-old woman comes in with um, complaints of leg pains, hip pains. Uh, She has had this for the last two months previously. No trauma, no musculoskeletal problems, no osteoporosis, no fractures, um, and she just found that she could no longer function. Woke up in the morning dragging, um, really profound morning stiffness, having a hard time getting dressed, having a hard time fulfilling her community activities, her family activities, and of course she's diagnosed as having polymyalgia rheumatica when she's found to have an anemia chronic disease, an H&H of 11 over 32, a thrombocytosis with a platelet count of 545,000, a sed rate of 113, a CRP of 31 milligrams per liter, uh, her LFTs were normal, her CK was normal, her strength was normal, but she was really slow moving. This was a no-brainer. Love seeing patients with this uh, this presentation and diagnosis. Uh, you know, I, my starting dose is 15 milligrams a day, and of course, she came back three weeks later and was dramatically better, uh, and the question is, how do you treat polymyalgia rheumatica? I bring this up because... Uh, she presented, actually before, the new FDA approval of an IL-6 inhibitor for PMR. That happened on the 28th of February. Ceruliumab was approved based on the results of the Sapphire study, and the indication there is uh, ceruliumab, the IL-6 inhibitor, is indicated in patients who are refractory to and cannot wean their steroids. You have to have a diagnosis of PMR, of course, uh, and... Um, But then again, where is this going to fit? And the question is, where will you use an IL-6 inhibitor now that we have one approved? And I would imagine by the end of the year, or certainly by next year, we might have at least two IL-6 targeted drugs approved. And maybe even other therapies approved for PMR and maybe other therapies approved for GCA. So this kind of happened when... Um, tosalizumab was approved for use in giant cell arteritis. The question was, how is it going to change the paradigm? And I think the answer for both conditions, whether it's GCA and tosalizumab or polymyalgia rheumatica and cerilumab, it's going to change slowly. Why? Well, because you, the rheumatologist, are sort of addicted to steroids, I mean, they're easy to use. they're dirt cheap, you know, and, and in the case of PMR, 15 milligrams is all you need. Rarely do you ever need to go up the 25? And the question and you think you're going to tell the, well you're going to tell the patient that don't worry, you'll be off the steroids in one to two years. And of course, that's wrong. The vast majority of patients are really on for almost four to five years. So do you want to commit your elderly, usually white Caucasian patient with PMR? To five years of steroids. Maybe that's okay for many patients, but ones with diabetes and heart failure and other significant comorbidities, that might be a bad choice. In 2015, the American College of Rheumatology and ULAR um, proposed treatment guidelines for PMR. And they, number one, said don't use nonsteroidals. They don't work. They're not recommended. They also said don't use TNF inhibitors. They don't work. They're not recommended. They are against natural products. They don't work. They're not recommended. They strongly recommended a course of glucocorticoids that are individualized to the patient with a starting dose of 12 and a half to 25 milligram, prednisone equivalents per day. And then, basically, you want to keep the patient in remission with normalization of symptoms and their um, acute phase reactants, their inflammatory indices, really within a month or two and being stable and in remission for at least three months before you can uh, wean their doses. Again, the guidelines did say doses no less than 7.5 and no higher than 30 milligrams with treatment of PMR. Of course, this gets a little bit dicey when the patient has PMR and RA overlap with some swollen joints. I still call that PMR, but I might call that RA if I want to use an RA drug to treat it. Anyway, um, you basically can wean their steroid doses every month, to every two months, to um, uh, hopefully a dose of 10 milligrams per day, and then show that they're in remission for at least six months before you start to wean any further. Now, again, this is often a futile effort because patients will flare, and they'll flare because you're weaning the steroids and they're going through steroid withdrawal. So you need to have clear-cut guidelines on what you're calling a failure. The question is, what else can? where can you add other therapies? The guidelines from ACR and EULAR say that you add methotrexate when the patient is refractory to steroid weaning or has complicated diseases that would uh, permit you to not use or forbid you from using high-dose steroids. Now I think you're going to add the IL-6 inhibitor to that list, and maybe it's going to be after you fail methotrexate that you would move on to an IL-6 inhibitor. Maybe in patients who can't take methotrexate, you use the IL-6 inhibitor. Maybe patients who are incredibly high risk for steroid side effects, maybe you'd use the IL-6 inhibitor. Time will tell how the paradigm is going to change. I do think it's going to be slow, but it will change. This is a major advance that we should all take note of. Take care. This is QD Clinic. Hi, I'm Jack Cush with Room Now. Cutie Clinic is brought to you by Room Now Live, where great meetings are attended by great rheumatologists. That would be you. March 18th and 19th, I think you're going to like our TED-like talks that are spread throughout the program. A few. One is the future of osteoarthritis from Philip Conahan. It's going to be great. Second, why medical meetings should be like October 1st, Dr. Henrik schulz koops And then a session by rheumatologists, a father-daughter pair, who are going to talk about the family room, R-H-E-U-M, meaning it's all in the family with rheumatologists. Guess who those speakers are going to be? I expect to see you there. Let's talk about a case. This is a case of belly pain, polyarthralgia, and poor diet. A 54-year-old woman presents with a 10-year history of belly pains, weight loss, nausea, previous gallbladder surgery, going to pain management now for chronic belly pain. She has sores in her mouth um, uh, that are painful, Her eyes are red and scratchy. She's seen ENT and GI, and they don't really have much in the way of a diagnosis. ENT tried to make a diagnosis of Sjogren's, and it didn't stick. Nothing could be found, including a negative salivary gland biopsy um, or lip lip salivary gland biopsy. Um, She has chronic polyarthritis, arms, legs, shoulders, hips. Um, She's overweight. She um, hates... um, Well, she has a bad diet. She hates fruits and vegetables. Um, She's been diagnosed with hypothyroidism, gastroparesis, back pain, and degenerative joint disease. She's taking pain meds, narcotic meds, and not doing any better. And um, on exam, she mainly has trigger point tenderness, mild osteoarthritis, and mucositis. So the question is, um, what does she have? And I'm going to throw a real red herring at you. This is a case of scurvy. What? Are you kidding me? And yes, um, she had lab tests to prove that she was deficient. Um, it's more common. It's not, it's not common in the United States. And when it is, it's really the result of a really bad diet. It's seen um, outside the United States and seen people with psychiatric disorders or alcoholics or those with incredibly bad diets. The manifestations of scurvy are very protean, fatigue, um, anemia. They have problems with bleeding and... Capillary instability, so they have purpura hematoma, hematomas, poor wound healing. They have a lot of GI symptoms um, that could also be for the same reason, but um, when you look at them, they have myalgias. They rarely have synovitis, they usually have arthralgias, um, and they usually have a very high set rate in CRP. They may have dry eyes, dry mouth, and scratchy eyes that look like Chauvin syndrome, and if you look at their gums, they'll have hypertrophy of uh, the gums and uh, usually very, very poor dentition. So here's a case of scurvy. And it turns out when I presented this case a few years ago that uh, then I, in the next month I saw a bunch of cases of scurvy in our literature. And you should be aware that this is something that um, you should look for. So get back on those um, on those fruits and vegetables and... Um, consider this, especially in patients who have ill-defined symptoms with a lot of GI symptoms, and I think um, hematomas and purpura um, and mucositis, those are strong clues for scurvy. Tune in for more QD Clinics. We'll see you at Room Now Live. Hi, this is QD Clinics, and I'm Jack Cushwood. Room Now. QD Clinics is brought to you by Room Now Live. 2023. We'll see you there on March the 18th and 19th in Dallas or virtual online. Sign up now. Our case today is Gottrin's papules, but no weakness. Hmm. A 19 year old white male, tall young man, uh, looks like he should have been a basketball player, comes in to see me because he's got um, red rashes over his knuckles and actually over a lot of parts of his body. The rashes are elevated, um, not painful, not itchy, but they're not only noted over the big knuckles, the MCPs, a few on the PIPs, over the top of his MTPs, over the knees, over his spinous processes, and also over the eyelids. He denies any fever, weight loss, GI symptoms, he denies any weakness, he runs, he works, he has a manual labor job, he has no problems with shortness of breath, no problems with dysphagia, he has um, no facial rash other than this redness and scaling on his eyelids, and, um, and he's not losing any hair. Uh, labs were done prior to my seeing him. His uh, CK was 200 his ANA was negative. His white count and CBC was normal. I did not have any acute phase reactants on this gentleman. When you looked at him, and I've got pictures of him that basically show a truly classic um, manifestation of Gottron's lesions over the MCPs where there are scaly, elevated, reddish, purplish, right? Uh, And on uh, exam, no swollen joints and no signs of weakness. You know, he has no gower sign, meaning he can cross his arms, rise from a seated position without transferring weight or rocking. Um, This is a classic sign of what we would call um, amyopathic dermatomyositis. Amyopathic dermatomyositis, also called catomyositis. Clinically, amyopathic dermatomyositis, CADM, C-A-D-M. The um, thing about these patients are that they usually have kind of severe disease. Uh, A number of them um, may um, have progression to actual weakness, but these these patients um, are at higher risk for interstitial lung disease and severe skin disease. In these cases, you should be looking for the MDA5, um, autoantibody, because that's a marker. It's very common in Southeast Asia, less common in the United States, but we do see a fair number. I've seen a fair number in my career. i um, been testing for this probably for the last uh, eight or 10 years, maybe. Um, and again, it's estimated that if they have ILD with this CADM, they um, have a less than 50% survival rate. Um, it's estimated that um, somewhere around 15 to 20 percent of them will develop peripheral weakness, motor weakness over time. You have to worry about not just interstitial lung disease, but a risk of of uh, neoplasia. Um, and like other patients, patients with myositis, about 50 to 60 percent are going to be ANA positive. But again, the the, the test you want to look for is the MDA five, 5 and probably doing you know uh, other. Um, Myositis associated auto antibodies um, to look at the etiology, including NXP2 and TIF1 gamma, etc. But these are difficult cases to manage. They are um, they may be steroid responsive, but often you have to cycle through a lot of different therapies. You know, um, many, many years ago, I used to use hydroxyurea. I've used leflunomide to, pa- to treat these patients. I have not had much success in managing them with azathioprine and methotrexate. More recently, JAK inhibitors could be invoked if patients truly are refractory. But again, you really have to worry about these people because they're going. To, if they get lung disease, they'll progress rapidly and do poorly. That's clinically amyopathic dermatomyositis. The kind of patient you don't want to see on a regular basis. Take care, tune in for more Cutie Clinics. Hi, welcome to Cutie Clinic. I'm Jack Cushwood. Room Now Cutie Clinic is brought to you by RNL 23, March 18 and 19, 2023. Lately, our focus at Room Now has been all about what rooms think. We want to hear what you think, we want to hear wh- how you take the information from Room Now Live and apply it to your practice. We're going to hear from you during our extensive panel discussions throughout the meeting on that Saturday and that Sunday. We hope to see you there. Our QD case of today is weight loss and PSA. 35-year-old woman has psoriatic arthritis for about 14 years and maybe uh, psoriasis for another 10 years on top of that. She has a history of being B27. She has low back pain, um, and she does have sacroiliitis. She has been diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis on the basis of an oligoarthritis, dactylitis, uh, and in the past has had conjunctivitis. Uh, in the last uh, six months, she's had a 40-pound weight loss, anorexia, um, belly pain, joint pain, um, fevers, chills, night sweats. Um, and intermittent diarrhea. She can't take uh, non-steroidals She's only taking a uh, tannercept, and uh, and has gotten worse. In uh, more recently, she had a negative um, upper endoscopy and lower colonoscopy. Um, she's not anemic. Oh, she's mildly anemic. She platelet counts five hundred seventeen thousand. Her CRP is markedly elevated, five point nine milligrams per deciliter, that's 59 per liter. Um, She's mildly hypoalbuminemic, has a high lipase negative um, uh, TB test, Uh, and she has an abdominal CT showing mesenteric adenopathy. She does have a positive stool guaiac. The question was, did she have um, maybe a lymphoma, um, a GI cancer, carcinoid? Could she have... um, an infection, um, and again, um, the question is, what other tests would you do? Well, we did a lot of blood tests. Her um, her immunoelectrophoresis and her sPep were normal. Um, she had no evidence of carcinoid on testing. She had normal. Um, vasoactive intestinal peptide and somatostatin levels. She had a repeat colonoscopy because she was admitted to the hospital. And this time around, it showed erosions, erythema uh, of the terminal ileum, compatible with ileitis. She had other evidence, other areas of patchy colitis and non-necrotizing granulomas that were negative for Um, acid-fast bacilli, she was diagnosed with IBD complicating her psoriatic disease. Now, the question on this case is, uh, there's a few things. One, could this be um, paradoxical Psoriasis complicating her colitis. So let's say let's just say she had Crohn's disease and she was getting a TNF inhibitor for her Crohn's disease. You know, when you use a TNF inhibitor, patients get psoriasis, and maybe you end up calling the Crohn's disease with paradoxical psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis. But obviously, that's not the case here. But could you have the reverse? Could you have psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis that then gets IBD on the basis of her therapy. Well, not on the basis. There are a few case reports of TNF inhibitors causing colitis, so getting paradoxical colitis, but that's really ultra rare. There are way more cases of psoriasis and psoriatic arthritis treated with IL-17 inhibitors that then get colitis. And that seems to be a little bit more in patients who are B27 positive with sacroiliitis than if they did not have that. So does she have an overlap with spondoarthritis between psoriatic arthritis and spondoarthritis? I think she does. Is she not at higher risk of getting IBD? I think she is. But she's only being treated, basically ineffectively, with etanercept. So that's not the right therapy for uh, at her at the, for her at this point for either her uh, back disease her her um, other manifestations extra spinal manifestations of sort of, of spondylarthritis and also now for what appears to be Crohn's disease. How frequent is it that someone with psoriasis or psoriatic arthritis developed IBD? It's really quite uncommon. It's less than 5%. It's probably more like around 1.5% of all the patients. And, you know, if you've got 30 million people with psoriasis or some crazy number like that, you'll see a fair number out there. But still, in my practice, I haven't seen many cases like this. And this is probably the only one I've seen like this. The treatment here, I think, is pretty straightforward. She does have active arthritis, she does have active colitis you know and because of the colitis you probably wouldn't want to give her an IL17 inhibitor you probably would want to give her a TNF inhibitor or the IL1223 inhibitor ustekinumab um and you know or in uh, possibly um a, a JAK inhibitor but JAK inhibitors only in high doses work in ulcer colitis don't work as well in Crohn's disease so i would uh, again have switched this lady to a higher dose of um, either infliximab, golimumab, certolizumab, or adalimumab, and and manage her that way, and then work with the GI um, colleague to better manage her colitis and get her weight and her infl- weight up and her inflammation back under control. That's it for this case of weight loss and PSA. Tune in for more QD Clinics. Hi everyone, welcome to QD Clinic. In this QD Clinic. We're going to text your review, Room Now Live 2023. I'm here with the co-host of Room Now Live, Dr. Artie Cavanaugh. Hey, Artie. Hey,
1: welcome, everyone.
0: Uh, we've been co-hosting this show now for about four or five years. Um, uh, Room Now Live is a unique meeting. Uh, it's unique in that it's uh, uh, shorter lectures, a lot of discussion, a lot of Q&A, um, and it's what I call vertically oriented uh, education meaning we do a single topic in a two-hour block, meaning it's lupus, 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 and discussion of lupus. And then we move on to another topic, et cetera. And that's kind of what's cool. So uh, in this little preview, I think we want to give you what we think are some of the highlights coming up in this uh, 2023 meeting that's going to be held March 18 and 19 in Dallas and also virtually at a computer near you. So, Artie, my first um, session that I'm really looking forward to is actually the first session and it's called Rheumatoid Arthritis Revolutionary Advances in Therapy. In this session, we have three 30-minute lectures, um, Kevin Dean on preclinical RA to treat or not treat, uh, Dr. Stan Cohen talking about the year of the Jack, and then lastly, Mike Brenner from Harvard talking about the fibroblast and stromal cells as a new exciting area of therapeutic intervention in RA. These are really cutting-edge areas where, really, I think the practice of rheumatologists and rheumatology is going to change. Preclinical RA, a lot of talk, a lot of studies, but no one knows which drug to use and whether it really is prudent to, to wait until they get a whole bunch of swollen joints or to intervene at that preclinical stage. Um, the Year of the Jack, so many new Jack indications and approvals this year that Stan's going to re- review, and Mike Brenner is going to talk about the thing we don't talk about but worry about and are not treating, that's fibroblasts.
1: Yeah, these are great topics and I'm really looking forward to it and I have great speakers. The topics are interesting, aren't they? Because they're not new, um, but they they became new again sort of this year, the early RA with all of the new data. And Kevin Dean is a great person to do that. The Jackanibs, there's new data with them. And then the idea of the fibroblast. we've been sort of teasing about that for a long time in RA. And it's be great to see because that might be Part of the reason why we still have refractory disease. Yeah, 15, 20 years, we've
0: been talking about fibroblasts and doing nothing about it. It's worse than the weather. What session are you looking
1: forward to? Oh, of course, the PSA, near and dear to my heart. And we have a good one, modern management of PSA. And uh, Laura Coates, friend and colleague from Oxford, is going to talk about remission. So remission, I think we all know it. But the trouble is defining it. How do you do that in a heterogeneous disease like psoriatic arthritis? Uh, and then kind of updates psoriatic arthritis specific. Eric Rudeman, in terms of the jacketips, which are approved in psoriatic arthritis, a lot of new data there. And then uh, Tina Chambers can talk about pregnancy in PSA. A lot of the pregnancy data has come from RA and, of course, from our colleagues in IBD, but there's specific information in PSA and all rheumatic diseases are just a little bit different with this pregnancy pregnancy, uh, which is, of course, crucially important. You know, I got questions for each of these. Laura, I'm going to say,
0: yeah, remission is great. What about sustained remission? What about, you know, getting like as greater response in PSA like they're seeing in psoriasis?
1: What, what do you to do to get there, right? Drug-free remission. I mean, that's yeah. the ultimate goal. Oh, so. wow.
0: Absolutely. And then JAK inhibitors. There's a lot of niche areas here that are, being in, uh, that are evolving with new research. And then I think Tina's going to have to answer the question about pregnancy. Is it like RA in pregnancy or is it different? And what do we need to do about
1: that? Yeah. Um, what about your next one, Jack?
0: Yeah. The next one I think is the, we got a great session on vasculitis. Um, and it's a hot new area, new drug indications. Rob Spire from special surgery in New York is going to talk about new therapies, either approved or being developed for polymyalgia rheumatica and giant arteritis. I think that's going to be an eye opener. Anisha Dua, who's a great educator, instructor from Northwestern, is going to talk about how we assess these patients with GCA and PMR. And then lastly, our our go-to in vasculitis, Carol Langford from the Cleveland Clinic, is going to talk about GPA treatment and new treatment choices that we
1: should be aware of. And looking forward to that, particularly the other speakers are of course, great, but uh, Carol has been lecturing on vasculitis uh, from the time when we had uh, very few therapies, we had cytoxin and that was pretty much it. And lecturing on kind of the pearls that us clinicians love to hear about, about caring for patients with vasculitis. Now that we have more treatments to choose from, it's going to be even better. Cool. My next one, the next session, rheumatoid arthritis, decisive therapies. So you got some cool talks on there. Uh, Joel Kramer, best person uh, to tell us about the history of methotrexate uh, and how it's evolved over the past nearly half century. Um, Myths versus reality with Janet Pope from uh, our north, up north, and uh, talk to us about that. Um, And then Jonathan Kay with Biosimilars, which is a topic that was a hot topic 10 years ago. And sort of didn't pay much attention to it, but it's getting really hot this year. And Jonathan uh, has been keeping an eye on this. So I'm looking forward to see what he has to say on this important topic. I think these
0: are all kind of hot topics with people shooting from the hip. Rheumatologists love methotrexate, and that's why Joel's the right guy. Janet's provocative from the podium. She's going to ask a million questions of the audience. And then John Kay, I mean, who knows biosomes better, especially here in 2023 with all new bioslummers hitting the market. Um, we've got a, a, a session on lupus that's great. They're going to talk about hydroxychloroquine with Laurent Arnault from uh, Strasbourg. Um, we have Rich Fury is going to talk about new concepts and new treatments in lupus. And then Ken Kalunian from your institution, UCSD, talking about lupus nephritis and how to approach
1: it. What about the last session, Artie? Well, yeah, I think it's the, like the vasculitis section. We have been talked about lupus forever and we've covered it in conferences. But there weren't many treatment options. And now we have choice. That's a, a really outstanding concept in lupus. And how do you choose? Because like we we're saying about PSA, lupus quite heterogeneous person to person and one person very different from the other. And I think that's what we want our lupology folks to uh, bring to us is uh, how do they, would they approach different domains of disease involvement? Um, and then the the, uh, the final session of the meeting will be on spa, on uh, axial spondyloarthritis. Uh, and we have Atul Diodar, Dennis Pudubny, and uh, John Ravel, And that's going to be fascinating. Uh, another area like PSA, where there's been a tremendous uh, development in uh, treatment, and that treatment progress is then turned around and, and encouraged development in how we assess the disease. I think we're going to hear about the, both of those, treatment and assessing disease, from all three of these great speakers. Yeah, Dennis has got some great data on new assessments and AI, and John Ravel.
0: You know, sounds like a pretty you know boring subject. Family history of AS a
1: lot of information on that that he's going to really, I think, open a lot of eyes on. Well, one of our most genetic diseases in rheumatology. We always talk about genetics, but it's most evident in spa, ankylosing spondylitis. Yeah. I want to
0: remind the audience that uh, all these are just great sessions, but the keynote is going to be given uh, at the end of the day on Saturday, by a guy that I went to school with. We were in, in kindergarten together. We went to high school together. We <clears throat> lived around the corner from each other. His name is Miracle Larry, Larry Kelly, and he's one of New York City's first cases of COVID, admitted to the, uh, the hospital Mount Sinai on March 17th, in the ICU, intubated on the 19th, and his story is unbelievable. It's, it's, it is crushingly catastrophic. There's no way he should have lived, and of course, by being at this program and with the label of Miracle Larry, you know the outcome. The question is, what was the journey like? And I tell you, it's emotional, it's visceral, and if, if you know Larry Kelly, it's going to be very entertaining. So make sure you're in your seats for the keynote.
1: So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, and it's uh, it says action-packed meeting. So uh, definitely, jo- there's still time to join us if you're in the Dallas area or come to the Dallas area. If not, join us virtually. As you can see, it's really going to be an incredible session. All right, Artie. We'll see you next week at Room Now Live. Take care.